Tangents is a series of podcasts created by the JCT Maths team for the Junior Cycle Talks podcast channel. For this episode, I spoke with Dr. Avian Bray and Claire Cooper about active learning pedagogies, technology in the maths classroom and Bridge 21. Avian and Claire, I'm so glad that you both agreed to come on and speak to us for our podcast tangents. Um, I'm very excited about what you're going to talk about. Thanks so much, Katrina. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Katrina. We're both delighted to be here with you today. I might actually start with yourself, Claire. Do you might tell me a little bit about how you became involved in math education? How did you get started? What's your background? Thanks. Yeah, so I did an English and maths degree um, way back in the 90s uh, when I was lucky enough that my parents didn't expect me to know what I was going to do when I finished college. But I think everybody except for me knew I was going to be a teacher. When I was doing my finals, my little sister was doing her leaving cert. And I was helping her and her friends to get through the leaving cert because she's probably one of the cleverest people I know. And yet she was desperately close to failing maths. (laughs) And I found this really strange, but I loved helping her and her friends. I really enjoyed it. I found it very satisfying. And after graduation, I had a very nice office job and everything was toddling along nicely, but it wasn't satisfying in the same way that doing the grinds had been and I was also still a little bit irked that the idea that somebody as clever as her could be allowed Mm -hmm. to fail maths had just stayed in my brain and annoyed me enough that I decided I would go off and be a teacher and at that stage over in the UK they had fabulous funding opportunities for particularly women to study to be maths teachers and I was lucky enough to get a place on the PG cert in the University of Bath with Peter Richards. It was the best year of my life. It changed how I viewed maths, how I viewed education, absolutely everything. It was just wonderful. Have you found since you began your career that your approach to math education has maybe changed a little bit, your approach to teaching math, your approach to students? I suppose I kind of had two big moments. The first was actually at the interview for the PG Cert when Peter asked me, well, how do you do the grinds? I presume you don't just show her how to do the questions. And I went, what? There's another way. <laughs> and yeah, he laughed at me as well. And he just said, by the end of this year, you'll know loads of different ways. And I, at that point, knew I was home. It was a world of possibilities opened up. And um, the next kind of key moment for me would have been when I met the Trinity Access team and did the postgraduate cert in 21st century teaching and learning. The idea of such a student-centered focus on teaching, the idea of not putting the curriculum first, but putting the child first every single time. It really resonated with what I've been trying to do and not quite managing in my own classroom. Since then, that's always been my focus is what does this student need from me right now? And where do they need to get to? Avina, I might come to you next and just ask you for a little bit of your background as well. Thanks, Katrina. Um, yeah, it was a pretty circuitous route in in a way. Um, I did, again, like Claire, back in the 90s, did a maths and Italian degree. I had intended to do psychology, but hated it. So stuck with maths and Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I, from there, I sort of moved into computer science and ended up doing some postgraduate work in computer science. Again, I was doing grinds, which I loved. And I started to tutoring for uh, the formal methods computer science module and I don't think I've ever been I was nearly sick with fear before going into the first (laughs) class but came out of it so incredibly elated 
Mm. having actually sort of taught things and explained things to a whole group of people. And I was so excited. And I realized at that point that I was actually more interested in the education side of things than in computer science in itself. So I wrote up as a master's the research I was doing and um, decided to be a teacher. So I went off and taught <laughs> for a while and then did the HDIP in Trinity as it was then, which I really loved. Mm -hmm. uh, and I taught for a few years and I was really lucky because I had an opportunity to teach the International Baccalaureate as well as the Leaving Cert and, and the Irish system. So I really had a good exposure to, to sort of different curricula. And I always loved research anyway. So I think even going into the HDIP, it was my intention to go back to research. So it was sort of around about then after teaching for a couple of years, I thought, no, OK, back into uh, do a PhD in maths ed. And uh, so that's that's where I got into the research side of things. You know, you never really know what your life is going to be like as a teacher, as an educator, until you're actually in that room full of people who are looking at you waiting to be taught. So, oh, that's so true. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And such, such an interesting moment for everyone, I think. Has your approach to maths education changed since you began your career? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, uh, when I was doing grinds, again, probably like Claire, I, at the time I found maths relatively straightforward. I hadn't always, but uh, sort of in secondary school, I found it reasonably easy. And it was always explaining something. So I was very much an explainer rather than a facilitator. So it was really very much about bringing the rules back and making them understandable, which was all in it still be very much part of what I do. Uh, but it was that move towards the, the sort of realistic context that was provided. And again, this sort of happened when I came into uh, Bridge 21, uh, which is part of the, the Trinity Access program now. But it's an approach to teaching and learning that's very different. It's sort of socially constructivist approach and it allows for the teacher as facilitator rather than teacher as explainer. Uh, so I think that that experience and that's where my research came out of then is uh, was probably the main change in my own approach to maths education. And it's been very fundamental, like completely changed the way I do things. I would like to ask, and I don't mind who answers first, what do you find most challenging about working in maths education? We had this chat yesterday as well. And um, yeah, I think for me particularly, it's people's perceptions of maths and what a maths class should look like. And mm. um, the idea that if you are doing well in maths because you've done 20 questions on a topic and you got 20 out of 20 in the time that was allowed on the day that was allowed and that that's how parents know that students are achieving and that's how students know that they are and I find breaking down those barriers really fun but really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the other the other thing that I'd add to that is sort of working in an area that is undergoing change and reform while I think everybody is generally feel that yes change is good um but it's always sort of change for other people so it's this this recognition that yes the system should change but it's very difficult for people to change themselves at a personal level and i think that can be very challenging working in maths ed is there something in particular that you find rewarding about working in maths education well, I think from my experience working with teachers and working in initial teacher education has been really exciting because you're working with people coming in who have the real interest in maths and they're generally just so passionate about teaching, but you can actually start to influence them. So it's again, it gets back to that idea of change. You're opening up their eyes to other perspectives and it's so exciting. And then similarly, when I'm working with on the PG search that uh, Claire did um, in 21st century teaching and learning in general, 
general, the people coming on that course are there because they want to see a new and a different way. And it's as that understanding develops and becomes a sort of proper feeling of, yeah, I can actually see why this is working. It's just so exciting. I love it. And Claire, is there something you'd like to add to that about anything rewarding about working in math education? For me, it was when the new junior cycle specification came in and the unifying strand being given such a strong, prominent place in there. I love the idea of problem solving as a learning tool, but as a summative assessment tool as well. And to have a place for it in the curriculum that I could look for opportunities to show students how topics link together, but also to show them that they have learned and made progress. And I love sneaking and using it as a little cheat so that (laughs) I can kind of foreshadow what's going to come next that they'll start asking me questions about an area that they want to go into that they've come across and I'm able to go yes that's where we're going next so you'll really like it um I think it was a brilliant addition to the specifications for us okay I love asking people this question what is the best piece of advice you received as an educator so Abby I'm going to start with you for this one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we spoke about this yesterday as well. <laughs> the best piece of advice I was given was don't listen to that woman. <laughs> so that was when I was doing my initial teacher education. And I will be very careful not to name any names. Yeah. But um, I had a supervising teacher who wanted me to teach the class by saying, you just take it over to the other side and change the sign. And no matter how much I said that that was not an appropriate way of teaching. I probably didn't say that to her. I would have been too scared, but that it wasn't what we were supposed to be doing. She claimed that this group wouldn't have the capacity to understand if I tried to explain it with meaning. Mm. And I remember saying to the professor I was working with in the in the university and she just turned around and said, don't listen to that woman. (laughs) I think that was actually the best bit of advice Mm. I was given. That's amazing because actually I know from speaking with lots of teachers, that's a real bugbear of theirs. It's not magic tricks. There's a reason yeah. why things happen. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Claire, uh, best piece of advice you received? Uh, yeah, I had a fabulous cooperating teacher in my first year. So a shout out to Lalagay Smy. Um, <laughs> and she really helped me to not be afraid of noise and to see that noisy rooms can be really active learning rooms and that if kids are laughing and chatting and talking maths that that is learning it does mean I have a very noisy classroom a lot of the time (laughs) and next door neighbors might be um yeah not very happy about it at different stages but it means that I got away from that idea of a quiet classroom really early in my career Sometimes that kind of noisy classroom maybe challenges what the student engagement look like, what the student motivation yeah. look like. Now that we've established a little bit about your individual backgrounds, you might tell me a little bit about the work that you collaborated on. Feel free to start from the beginning and even tell me and our listeners a little bit about what is the Trinity Access Programme and what is Bridge 21. So the Trinity Access Programme, it's a programme supported by Trinity College Dublin. It's been in existence for about 25 years So what we do is we work with students and teachers in schools with the aim of empowering every student to reach their full academic potential and for schools to create a college going culture in their school. So we have a set of resources that are all designed and tested so that they'll positively impact students aspirations, but also so that the students are building up the skills that they need in order to be able to thrive and meet their own expectations. So we do that through the implementation of three core practices, 
Pathways to College, which supports the work of guidance counsellors, mentoring so that students have active role models that they can discuss things with, and then leadership in learning, which is where myself and Abin's work on this particular project comes in. Yeah, and I think then the leadership in learning side of things, it builds on the Bridge 21 pedagogic model, uh, which is a, a socially constructivist approach to education. So that's sort of building on the idea that we construct knowledge and understanding, at least in part through our interactions with each other. And that uses the, the sort of Vygotskian idea of the zone of proximal development. And there are three particularly main elements to the Bridge 21 approach. So it involves teamwork It's a project based approach to learning and it's technology mediated. And the rest of the model kind of fits around those three things. So just to dip into those a little bit, the key thing with the technology is that it's about learning with the technology rather than learning about it. So tech is only used when it actually makes sense to do so and when it's meaningful to use it. Teamwork then is a skill that needs to be learnt, really. So we start off by trying to teach the students how to work together and what the different ways of working in a team can look like. And then it involves practice and being improved upon. So it's sort of it can be very messy at the beginning. If you stick with it, then obviously there are, there are huge benefits. So that's really that's sort of the, the background to Trinity Access, which is the broader program and Bridge 21, which is the approach to teaching and learning within that. I mean, you've completed some research in active learning. Can you tell us a little bit about active learning pedagogies in the context of a mathematics classroom? Sure. I, yeah. I'll actually start a little bit broader, though, if that's OK, because my, my background was as the research coordinator for Trinity Access before I moved into the School of Education. So we did a very large scale and longitudinal study looking at the impact or part of it anyway was looking at the impact of the exposure to these kind of 21st century pedagogies so the types of teaching and learning that helps to develop key skills and we were able to consistently show across the years that this type of teaching and learning is predictive of higher levels of engagement with education and better student teacher relationships and that both of those then are predictive of um, higher levels of well-being in students. So if I was to take that then a bit more math specific, so looking more at my own sort of doctoral results and things like that, I used the Bridge 21 model to develop activities that I ran then in schools. And what I found was that it led to higher levels of engagement, particularly effective engagement, which is where the students actually enjoyed what they were doing, but also conceptual understanding. So that's really where this idea of the Bridge 21 comes to the fore is, is in this sort of engagement is the main thing I would say that the uh, sort of student engagement with education. Yeah and just you mentioned something there as well that I kind of thought was a bit interesting the relationship between the student and the teacher so like do you have any advice how can teachers cultivate a good relationship with their students in the classroom? I think the particular approach my feeling is that the reason that this affects the student-teacher relationship is because it changes the dynamic in the classroom completely. It's an environment there where you're co-learning. So the teacher is there not as the sage on the stage or whatever. That's one of the the phrases (laughs) frequently thrown around the place. But they're engaging with the students as a facilitator and a co-learner because they won't always know the answer. It's that Mm. they're accepting that there, there is more than one answer. It's a project approach. So like with the CBAs, it's about allowing a sort of a more realistic approach to maths and more discourse and equality I suppose in the classroom and it's by doing that and having that that recognition of each other as individuals and not as a leader and and followers I think that changes the dynamic completely yeah Claire I'm going to ask you a little bit about active learning pedagogies now so could you tell us just a little bit about any active learning pedagogies that you employ in your classroom I think the same as all the teachers who've 
been involved in the change with the junior cycle over the last few years, there's been a huge focus on active learning and we've all been finding our own methods and our own systems for it. For me, it's putting the student voice in there um, at the heart of every unit of work. So when I'm designing a unit of work, I look for the opportunities for gaming. I look for the opportunities for project work. I look for the opportunities for choice for the students in there and then present them because sometimes a class will be absolutely up for doing a massive project and they will have the time and the energy, but other times they don't. They might have three other big projects going on at the time or they might be just tired. I also look and see going, well, is this something that's best delivered by me or is this something that actually the students can look at Can Academy so we can have a more blended approach where I'm facilitating at the problem solving part of it. But giving the students the chance to make those decisions early in the unit planning or on a week by week basis going, do we think we can reach this point by Thursday in order that we can do something on Friday? It allows them a little bit of control of their own environment. And it means it's a negotiated learning pace all the time. So you're building that trust in there as well. You ask them, can they meet a deadline? They give you the reasons, yes or no, and you accept them because they're young adults in the making. So if they say, yes, we will, then we get there. I think that's really interesting, building in that element of choice for the students. So I do have to ask the question then, does a lot of time get spent on planning for maths classes for you? Or is it something that you have kind of adapted over time? No, it never gets <laughs> easier. Um, it mm. does get more fun. Um, so I have 21 years of teaching resources and packs and projects and and links as well. So oftentimes I would be, I'd know what I want, but wouldn't have it there or time to create it. So I can just shout out to other people. And generally somebody has something close out there in the community already. But also every class is so individual. And so it's always different based on who's in front of you. Yeah. But one of the things that came up in our conversation yesterday was that, uh, yes, it is hard and it does take the planning, but that if we can incorporate more of an idea of co-teaching, peer teaching, communities of practice within the school mm. where, where teachers can actually help each other, lesson planning, all of these are the approaches to actually development within the school that can support individual teachers to do this kind of incredible work. Is it important for students to collaborate when learning? And how do you get students to collaborate when learning? Yeah, well, I think yes is the easy answer to is it important to have students collaborate when learning? But I think it's an awful lot more nuanced than that. Not always. I think it's really important to recognise that we can espouse these different um, approaches as being, you know, the best way of doing things. But there's a place for every approach. There are different students who like learning in different ways and there are different topics. And like Claire was mentioning earlier, sometimes you've got a tired class who just want to sit there and work quietly. So that's my answer to should they collaborate? Yes. Do you want to take the, the next part, which is the how part, Claire? It takes an awful lot of practice, particularly if you're not starting this with a first year group. First year groups are used to learning new things all the time and new ways of learning. But that actual training of how to work in a team, why are the different roles important and why are they all of equal value? It takes mm. time to learn that. But if you learn it while you're still in school, when you move on to university or into the workplace, then you already have a step ahead of everybody else because you know that every single project that you ever work on for the rest of your lives is going to be a joint project. And mm. um, so it's a real life skill that you're learning. 
And just to, to pull in the research there, um, it has been shown there was a large scale study done in the UK a couple of years ago, and they showed that in schools that engaged with group work and teamwork, that there was one particular school which did this sort of training at the beginning of mm. how to work in a team. And for that school, it was so much more effective by the end, even though the other schools had done it, they'd put people into groups and said, do a group mm. project, but without having that actual structured approach to the teamwork it's just not as effective and I think it's going back to that kind of element of planning again so if you think about it in advance and the students get to input into it in advance it means that it's going to work more effectively maybe than just you know and I know we've all done it, but I'm going to say I've definitely done it where I've walked into a classroom someday thinking I'm going to try something and thrown it out there and it's failed miserably because I just didn't push yep. the bit of planning into it you know we've all yep. done that yep. all done that <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where um CSPE and well-being classes and um, those teachers can really support other teachers because the skills that they learn in there oftentimes it is the SPHE teacher uh, or the religion teacher who has the skills to have those conversations and yeah. then those team working conversations apply into all of the other curriculum areas um, yeah. So it's really important that there's a whole school approach on that as well. One of the things that Claire said there just triggered this idea as well that, you know, we're asking the students to uh, put into practice all of these key skills and things like that. But it's only really if the school is taking that approach as well, where it's encouraging the teachers to collaborate and communicate and work together to support each other, that that can actually filter down then into the classrooms and be used with the students. So the idea of the whole school approach is really, really important. It does have to come from sort of management level and trickle down. Even if it's no more than it's being modeled, if students yeah. can see it, they can emulate it as well. Absolutely. Exactly. So I suppose in our current climate, active learning pedagogies that teachers have relied on in the past may be difficult to implement due to physically distanced classrooms. Do you have any advice or suggestions for teachers that might be trying to keep students actively learning while physically distanced? Uh, we came up with a one word answer to this question. <laughs> technology particularly with the social distancing it is pretty much essential if you want to engage in any kind of collaborative work that there is some element of resourcing of technology and it doesn't have to be top-notch obviously it's going to be better if you have access to laptops or tablets or something like that so that you can use the, the google classroom types of software but even using mobile phones you can use things like Mentimeter Claire I don't know do you want to describe the use of Mentimeter to do the brainstorming that was really interesting yeah when we were um, doing our math CBA we brought the students in and out of a divergent and convergent cycle of brainstorming and you can use Mentimeter really nicely for that so prompting them with images and asking just the broad question of going, where is the maths in that? And then Mentimeter can create a really beautiful word clouds of those ideas. But one of the things that we found really useful was asking students to rate which areas of maths they thought would generate the best questions or which questions would generate the most useful projects. And so we didn't have it at the time. And it's one of those things that when I'm doing it again, is the idea of taking the clouds, picking some of the ideas and asking students to rate them and then explain why they've rated them in certain ways. Because I think the fact we've all been through the Math CBA once now, we know that some questions, some leading questions led to more fun projects and more satisfying projects. Mm. So that idea of having that discussion with the students before they start is really exciting. 
getting students to pose questions, to come up with problem statements is probably new territory for a lot of teachers. Using something like images as a prompt, videos as a prompt, something to get students thinking. You mentioned sort of getting students to pick out the best questions. And I think you said like the ones that might be the most useful. Do you mean sort of in terms of real life problem solving? It was kind of two-pronged in terms of um, what was useful. So what we found was oftentimes students would pick a, a leading question that had a definite answer so that they could conceivably be finished their project after two hours. And okay. um, <laughs> having gone through that bit in the middle of going, I don't know, or that there wouldn't be any extension for them, that mm. there was no opportunity for them to generalise or pose a bigger question afterwards. Has there been a shift in how you use technology for teaching and learning? And in particular, if it's to practical applications, modeling, virtual manipulatives or anything like that, that kind of springs to mind when you think about using technology in a maths classroom. Again, there's kind of two things. Um, my first experience of using technology in the maths classroom, aside from take out your calculators, um, <laughs> was actually when I found uh, Khan Academy through Mathletes and then LearnStorm. Yeah. I discovered pretty quickly that what it allowed me to do was create much more time in my classroom and to differentiate much more easily. Because when you're coming to a new area, a lot of times students have very different baseline knowledge and you want to be able to let them master things in their own pace at their own time but then sit with them when, well, at the moment we're not allowed to sit, but um, work <laughs> with them when they're really struggling and do need your help so that you can give them that either one-to-one or small group attention. Mm-hmm. And the instructional videos and the exercises on Khan Academy allowed me to kind of release myself from the front of the room so that I could support the students with actually what they needed rather than me trying to look at a crystal ball and work out where they were going to get stuck. And then they could tell me when they needed the help or Khan Academy would flag it for me. Mm. And I found that absolutely brilliant. And then Avin's Bungie Barbie, (laughs) where I discovered a whole new world of where technology didn't just have to kind of augment my teaching ability, but what it was able to do was create access to an entire universe and I mean you're much better at explaining Bungie Barbie than I am. <laughs> yeah so I suppose my um, my use of technology in maths was to allow the the content to be real so mm-hmm. um, I sort of went and found different applications that weren't necessarily specific to education but that were free and mm. accessible and that you could start to do investigations maths investigations with real world data So you would maybe take a video and then do an analysis of the video to calculate um, trajectory or the Barbie bungee was sort of trying to figure out how many rubber bands you'd need to not kill Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) But using software to do that, to to calculate, well, how far is is the doll dropping with this number of bands and so on. And then even very straightforward applications like Excel to actually plot the data that you're collecting, but it allows the meaningfulness of the real world activity to drive the maths as opposed to the other way around. So the maths is emerging from the problem and you're able to actually do calculations with real numbers and messy data. And you can do that because you're using technology. Yes, I love that. It's not contrived. It's not the numbers because they're the numbers that happen to be in the textbook or on the question sheet or whatever. It's something that's coming from the the real world. Most of the time it was that the students were saying things like, 
I've never actually created a function myself. So, you know, they were always given a function to solve. They might have been given it within a context, but yeah. to actually figure out that they needed to create some kind of function uh, from the data that they're collecting and using it that way, just it flipped it all on its head. The understanding level that came out of it was yes. so much deeper. In what ways might technology transform the learning experience of math students? I think technology allows students to, in a lot of cases, learn about the world in a different way. So it allows them to create things um, more quickly than they would have before. So I remember when I was in school trying to learn about how a graph transforms mm. and getting bored halfway through because there's only so many times that you can draw the same function moving up and down the X and Y axis before you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas now they can look at those models really, really quickly. And as Avin was saying, being allowed to look at the real world and see where their maths is sitting within the real world means that it isn't something that any student can walk out of the maths classroom and say, I'm never going to use maths once I finish school, because they'll hopefully have seen enough maths in the real world around them. And also, I think the third part is that idea that was for me for the first idea was that it might actually free up the teacher just a little bit. So the relationship that students have with maths might be very different. It's too many students come out of school with negative perceptions of maths and a fear of their maths teacher. Mm. Whereas if we have more time sitting with them and working with them, then it's a more personalized and a much stronger relationship. Abby, I don't know if you have something you want to add in there to that in terms of technology transforming the learning experience of students. Um, well, I'm not sure if it's particularly technology, but it's the whole sort of approach, the realistic approach. And, and that is very much, from my experience, founded in, in using technology. But I did just a, a little anecdote of one student after an activity um, around pizzas say that she was never <laughs> going to order a pizza without calculating its area first and seeing if it was good value for money. <laughs> I'm not sure how long that would have lasted, but it was just such an exciting thing to have a student leaving a class, a maths class going, well, I'm going to be using this every time I order pizza. <laughs> I know that a lot of teachers find it quite difficult when they're trying to integrate aspects of technology into teaching and learning. So is there any advice that you might have for teachers who want to actually design mathematical tasks using technology? I think the key is to talk to other people who are just as interested as you are. So there's loads of communities out there. Anyone is more than welcome to join us on the staffroom.ie. We have regular chats. And um, the SESI list is just brilliant. You can shout out for any level of advice from somebody who's the IT administrator in a school right through to a teacher who's going, I just want to know how to use the interactive whiteboard that's suddenly arrived into my classroom. And there's people there that are willing to help. But the community of teachers, community of practice that has really embedded since the lockdown is yeah. the best resource. But remember, the person in the classroom next door to you is yeah. probably um, either thinking about doing the same or doing the same. So see if you can pair up, which I know is very difficult at the moment, but there's no reason why you can't have um, parallel teaching going on and then talk about how it happens and how it works and plan together. The other thing that I'd add would be start small. Mm. So don't go and jump in and think that you're going to be able to do an entire um, technology based class. Just 
do something small, like bring it in in, in bits and pieces. Uh, you'll need to get the students used to using it if they haven't already. And you'll need to get yourself used to using it as well. So definitely small steps. Um, I might just ask about the barriers and challenges to using technology. So is there anything that would kind of spring to mind there in terms of an issue in using technology, any barriers you've come across? Working with the technology that you have. So if the students only have a phone, then you're using a phone. If they only have a show me board, you're using a show me board. If they have a copy, you're using the copy. And I think there are challenges of having technology in the classroom. But I think if you are managing the kinds of activities like we're talking about now, which are sort of very sort of structured, you're given tasks to do so that the technology isn't being abused by the students, because I think that's always the fear of bringing technology into the classroom is that maybe the students will use it in an inappropriate way. Maybe we shouldn't have phones because they'll just be messaging each other. But if we can actually capitalize on that. So like currently, if we could have them messaging each other on topic, that would be amazing. Like take the positives uh, from the technology and incorporate mm -hmm. that into the classroom. But it just needs to be done in a structured way where the students are also on board. It's lovely and easy to say that out loud, isn't it? Actually do it might not be as straightforward. But, uh. So um, we're going to talk a little bit more about your work together on Bridge 21. So can you tell me a little bit more about the projects that you have collaborated on or worked on together? It just so happened that Claire and I both started new jobs at more or less the same time. So she moved into the Trinity Access space as I was moving out. Um, well, I don't think I've ever fully moved out and I don't think I ever will. I moved into the School of Education and started working in initial teacher education and other areas over there. But it was when I was working then with my PME students and focusing on curriculum aspects like the CBAs, I realised how beautifully the Bridge 21 model aligned with the concepts and how it could be used to support teachers in implementing the CBAs in their maths classrooms. And so I guess knowing that Claire had been working as a maths teacher, I got in touch with her at that point. And uh, so over to you, Claire. So my other subject is English. I had used a lot of the Bridge 21 model in my rollout of CBAs for English, and it had worked really nicely. It gave me a lovely scaffolding. So when Avin was saying that they aligned really well for the maths one, I was very excited because you know yourself, Katrina, that a lot of maths teachers were very nervous about the maths CBA yeah. and the idea of being able to support the teachers in the classroom that were delivering this project. But also because it was so exciting to find a way that we can go, actually, yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, CBAs are good. So a lot of serendipity that we found each other at the right time with the same interest. There really was. And then there were two teachers in Claire's previous school who had agreed then to use this approach to structure their second year CBA in early 2020. And as it happened, one of those teachers was doing the PG cert in 21st century teaching and learning and had done my contextual maths module in the previous December. So during that, I had already introduced the idea of using the Bridge 21 approach for scaffolding the CBAs. And so the teacher was really on board with using that as a structure. Very serendipitous. It really sure. was. It really was, yeah. And we yeah. were very lucky as well. Um, Art School LaSalle is my old school. And the principal there is very open to new ideas and to encouraging teachers to find support networks and try new things. Um, so they were very supportive of the idea that we would co-teach all of the second years together mm. at the same time using this model. So we planned it together and then we delivered it together and then we reflected on it together as well. And it meant that 
we had a level of experience and support that we wouldn't have had normally. That idea of the early stage where you're finding your question, it can be very stressful. And when students are having to go back through the idea of coming up with their question and then refining their question and then realizing that their question wasn't going to work and throwing it out and starting again, mm. that can be quite nerve wracking. But that's part of the Bridge 21 cycle. Mm. And so students knew that this was part of the process. They knew that it was okay to say, on reflection, my initial question wasn't the one that I'm going to go with because, so I'm going to try this instead and not see that as a failure. And they just saw it as being part of the process. Some of the work then that you would have been doing through this project would inform some of the research that you've carried out. What has come from it that has maybe informed the research that you're doing? Well, I think it has primarily showed us that the Bridge 21 model is a really appropriate structure for scaffolding these kinds of activities. But it also allowed us to highlight the areas that it was most useful for and areas that we felt maybe would need to be addressed in in other ways. Mm. So there were a few areas. So we did this really nice reflective piece after the first uh, CBA and it allowed us to there go, okay, well, maybe you could use this aspect of the model to address the issues that you had there. So one of them was sort of around scaffolding the the investigation, but also this Mm. sort of iterative process of investigate, plan and create allowed the students and the teachers to gauge where they were in the process. Mm-hmm. and to be able to go okay yeah I'm here but I don't really like it so I'm going to go back so it is it's very much a sort of a cyclical model and then you come out of that mm-hmm. and I think what's nice again to tie this into the current situation is that we were talking about how could this be transposed into a sort of a socially distant world or even a blended learning or online world and you know it could actually be improved by the affordances of technology. So rather than Mm -hmm. just saying we could manage it if we had to, Mm -hmm. actually the use of things like chat forums or chat functions and those discussion forums and discussion boards to allow students to record their questions and their discussions would Mm -hmm. really be useful to have that record of the thought process. Yeah. We found that was really useful as well. Claire, you were there for the co-teaching elements of it. What was the impact on the teaching and learning in the classroom approaching it in this way? Um, I think it was the sense of community in the classroom that really struck me. They had a real ownership of it. It was very easy to knock their confidence. So you had to be very careful in all conversations with them because they were surprised themselves at the maths that they were doing. And that sense of wonder I don't know how often we get a chance to see that, but they were genuinely impressed with themselves Mm. and really proud and delighted to show me what they were doing at all the different stages. But the cooperation, because it wasn't competitive, because they weren't doing this project to win a prize, there was going to be, in, in their minds, no judgment of one being better than the other. They were all just going to complete it. And they could see what the levels were going to be. They knew where they were in all of the guidelines and the features of quality at all times. Mm -hmm. So they supported each other and they helped each other. And that cooperation, I loved to see. I found that really inspiring in a lot of ways. I think one of the other things that came up in our discussion um, before this was that it was a really amazing opportunity to give the students that they could recognize and use what they already know where they didn't Mm -hmm. know necessarily that they knew it. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
and also that they, they were motivating their own learning. So it was that idea of making it really meaningful. They had the opportunity to ask questions and direct their learning. So they were so much more likely to be interested and engaged, which I think is, is what we saw in the classroom then. And it was such a satisfying feeling because you never know that it's going to work. And it really, really did. Them wanting to learn trigonometry afterwards. <laughs> yes, like, exactly. The class were like, if I had just known trigonometry. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you suddenly had this rationale for any topics that you were going to be doing. You know, they knew why, because they would wanted to do it already because it had emerged yeah. to their uh, explorations. I think it also, uh, Katrina, provides a really strong rationale for why we do CBAs. Because it's not always properly recognized, I think, by teachers in that it isn't such a high stakes part of the assessment. So it can be sort of pushed under the carpet as like, well, we'll just get this done. We'll take the box and we'll have it done. Whereas actually it is possibly one of the most meaningful pieces of education in terms mm. of the, the maths that we provide these students with. Just to ask, the students worked with features of quality. So they were introduced at some point during the, the three week cycle as such. And that's actually something if I was doing it again, I would introduce much earlier. Interestingly, the students disagreed <laughs> when I asked them. And so it was when they were at the stage where they were actually writing up their reports and some of the more able students or the more confident students were going, well, I'm done. I have my answer. And, you kind of, <laughs> and you're trying to encourage them to do more. And that's where the features of quality came in really well, because we were able to say, absolutely, so where are you? And talk them through exactly where they were within the assessment and then have the conversation with the group of them that had reached that point around the same time and go, well, why is it that you aren't at the next stage? What is it that you can do to move yourself along there? And that was when they got very good at supporting each other going, I know how to get you to that bit. I'll help you if you help me with this bit here. And mm. that was great. That's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what you want, isn't it? Because then it's an understanding of the rationale why you're doing it. You know, it's this idea of your own self-assessment, peer assessment, self-direction, all of the skills that we want these students to be developing. It's fantastic. And their confidence that they could help each other. Yeah. And um, that their, their opinion was valid. That was really inspiring. Really appreciate that you took time out to talk to me today. I don't want to stop recording. If there is anything else that you want to add to the conversation, anything that you'd like to throw out there. The main thing is an invitation to any of the listeners to engage with us on this project, because from a, a personal point of view, in terms of research, I would like to keep working with teachers in this space to see how I can support them and to see how that can be developed into other resources and also then uh, to invite them to engage with Trinity Access on the staffroom.ie. So I might ask Claire to just elaborate a little bit on that. So the staffroom.ie is just our community website. So it is a place for sharing resources and for finding resources. They're particularly focused at the three core practices, but we also have a small notice board where we advertise our fortnightly chats. They're a casual Zoom chat that any teacher who is looking to engage with other teachers of a similar mind and outlook. We talk on a particular topic that's of interest to teachers and pertinent to the current climate, but also where we share CPD opportunities and access to our mailer as well, if you'd like to hear about the good news that are going on in classrooms across the country at the moment. 
That just sounds fantastic and really, really positive. So, um, Abby and Claire, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to the two of you about Bridge 21 and a little bit about active learning methodologies in tech and education. So thanks so much for taking the time out of your day for me. Thank you so much, Katrina. It's been such a pleasure. To hear more from Junior Cycle Talks, search for us on SoundCloud or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts.